with the 32nd pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and we've got some big news to cover here today on the show because we've got underclassmen declaring for the draft. We've got some unfortunate injuries to discuss, some big performances as well. So there is plenty for us to hit on in this week's show. We begin things at the top of the show with Draft Buzz, where I chat with NFL Draft Insider Tony Pauline as he and I talk about some of the big news of the week, and that is Ohio State defensive end Nick Bosa officially declaring for the 2019 draft. We'll react to all the rest of the news around the country there with Tony. After Draft Buzz, we will then transition to Scouting Report, where this week I figured, you know what, with him being the big news, let's get to my notes on young Nick Bosa. I watched every one of his snaps from this season and finished my film report on him on Wednesday morning, so I'll share that with you in that segment. After that, we'll get to Mr. Relevant, where this week I catch up with Quincy Avery, a professional quarterback trainer who has studied many of the top passers in the country. He'll give his thoughts as well on some of the guys he's worked with firsthand. Next up, we've got our Saturday scouting segment where Ben Fennel returns to talk about what he saw from one of the top teams in the SEC last week before he lets us know where he's heading this Saturday. Then we wrap things up on Draft Mailbag, where I'll take a question or two from you guys and answer them here on the show. We've got a ton going on this week. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the 2019 NFL Draft with our buddy Tony Pauline. It's time for some Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Please once again to be joined by our good friend here, Tony Pauline, DraftAnalyst.com, one of the best in the business when it comes to breaking NFL Draft news 365 days a year. Tony, uh, we're here in Week 8, and the big news around the country comes in the form of our second big-name underclassman declaring for the 2019 NFL Draft. We know that Ed Oliver from Houston declared back in the spring, but Nick Bosa from Ohio State made it official on Tuesday afternoon, withdrawing from school as he comes back from his abdominal surgery that he suffered in Week 3 against TCU. So let's get to the aftermath here. Overall thoughts after hearing this news from Nick Bosa and his uh, and his camp. You know, considering the way things are these days, it's not surprising. You talked about Ed Oliver. I mean, the past years, how many players have dropped out of bowl games uh, to, to you know to prepare prepare for the combine and get their combine training started early? You've had situations in the past where lesser known opponents who were hurt in October or, or, or in the middle of the season decided to. Uh, basically forego the rest of their careers to prepare for the draft. A lot of them went unselected. I guess in a situation with Boza, the only thing that may make it a little bit more surprising is Ohio State is expected to challenge for the national championship, and he was supposed to be part of that. So I guess people may question, you know, why is he backing out now, especially when he may be able to help uh, Ohio State uh, win a Big Ten title, maybe win one of the semifinal games, play in a national championship game. But – you know, it's a football family. There's a long lineage there. They they know what the situation is, and they're going to protect for, uh, protect him for his future. So, Tony, I'm going to go through my notes on Bosa from what I've seen from him on film, both from last year and from the three games that he played this season. But from what you're hearing, how high could he go in the draft? What are we talking about from a range for Nick Bosa? Oh, he's going to go top five. There's no doubt about it. You know, if the New York Giants continue their losing ways, they need some pass rush help. I could see them taking uh, Bose at the top of the draft. Uh, obviously, you've got to wait and see how it shakes out. But uh, without a doubt, I, I mean, look at all the, uh, the grief that his brother took 
uh, in the lead-up to when he was selected about poor workouts and he wasn't a great athlete. And look at the type of player that he's turned out to be. So uh, he's going to be a very early pick, and justifiably so. Tony, the Bosa stuff on Tuesday really overshadowed some really unfortunate news. His injuries really hit the country hard this week. Let's hash out some of these really quickly, and I want to first pick your brain on Ole Miss wide receiver DK Metcalf. This kid is a freak show at six foot four, over 220 pounds. He runs like a deer. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's got soft hands. But he's not a polished player based off what I've seen from him coming into the year. He's not a polished route runner. He's not consistent in contested situations. Again, this is all based off of his redshirt freshman tape. I know he has. He's had an extremely productive season so far coming into this uh, this point. But he's now out for the remainder of the year with that neck injury. The reports are he will need surgery. I really hope the kid goes back for. At least another year, Tony. What are you hearing about the injury, and what are you hearing about his future? You know, there's a lot of speculation about this, but there's also a lot of concern. Uh, we may not know for a while, but I spoke with somebody from Mississippi yesterday, and he told me that there is some fear that this could be a very serious injury. He said in the best-case scenario, they're hoping it's a Mike Williams situation. If you remember Mike Williams, Clemson missed the 2015 season, came back in 2016 like the top 10 in the 2017 draft, but it could be worse. We may not know for a while. Uh, I was told that Metcalf does have an insurance policy uh, uh, in place to guard against injury, a, a loss of value policy. You know, in a worst-case scenario, it'll be interesting to see what he gets from that policy. I was also told that Metcalf was set to enter the draft to the point where the person I spoke with said the belief was he had already decided on an agent and a represent and representation for the 2019 draft. Now, you know it remains to be seen what happens moving forward. Uh, the degree of the injury, the necessity of rehabilitation, if and when he'll be back. There's there's just a lot of unknowns, but there's a lot of concerns and there's a lot of fear. And like I said, I was told he was already he was all set to enter the 2019 draft. He may have to pull back on that. It's just a wait and see game at this point in time. Yeah, uh, that's a sh- obviously hoping for the best for him in his future. You know, I just kind of cringe when you said that they're they're fearing that it could be really bad. Uh, we, you hope that it turns out like it did for Mike Williams, right? And obviously he's starting to come around now uh, with the LA Chargers. But you know, largely came back for Clemson, took them to the playoffs. You know, was a uh, a top ten pick, like you mentioned. You hope uh, a similar kind of arc here for DK Metcalf if the film uh, you know predicates itself for that uh, moving forward. But uh, let's stick in the SEC, and this isn't a season-ending injury, Tony but uh, I wanted to stick it before we moved on to some of these other season enders. Uh, stick in the SEC at the wide receiver position. You know, Drew Locke is a guy we've talked a lot about in the past. He's one of my favorite senior quarterback. His number one receiver entering the season was senior Emmanuel Hall. Now, he's missed a ton of time already this year with the nagging injury. that He's been in and out of the lineup. He's missed a lot of time. Obviously, much less severe than Metcalf, but where did you see uh, Hall's stock coming into the season, and how much has it been affected by his unavailability here this fall? Yeah, he's recently struggling with a groin injury, and they can be kind of tricky. I mean, coming into the season, scouts had handed him a late second, early third-round grade. I was more early fourth-round area. He's got decent size, six one and a half, about 200, 205 pounds. He runs and plays in the mid-four-fours, catches the ball reasonably well. You know, very likely to get a senior bowl invite when you look by almost by default. You know, the senior bowl is going to have 10 receivers there from the senior class, and he's going to fit into the top 10 if he's healthy. 
if he's able to perform well at the Senior Bowl, I still think he could fit into that late uh, second-day, early third-day category. If it's a situation that really lingers on through the pre-draft process, you're looking at a mid-to-late last-day pick. Solid receiver. Unfortunate this has happened, but you know if scouts can't get the information, they're going to downgrade accordingly. Out west, Tony, in the Pac-12, we got word about two seniors who have likely played their last college ball. Uh, USC pass rusher Porter Gustin, UCLA running back Soso Jambabo, both are limited athletically, and in Gustin's case, he has already had a long list of injuries. Uh, what are you hearing about both of these guys at this stage when both of them were announced earlier this week that they would miss the remainder of their senior seasons due to their specific injuries? What are you hearing at this point? Yeah, let's start with Gustin first. I mean, he's an opposing-looking figure on the field, 6'4 and a half, 265 pounds. But he plays primarily standing up over USC, and he runs, uh, as far as his 40 time is concerned, as a 4.8549 type of 40 guy. So he doesn't have the, the true speed to be a 3-4 outside linebacker. He may not have the true size or durability to be a, uh, a, a, a defensive end at the next level. Came into the season with late-round grades from scouts. I don't think he's going to get drafted. He's going to have to make it as an undrafted free agent, show some pass-rushing skill, which he's shown in college. He's going to have to do that next summer, whether it's standing up over tackle or out of a three-point stance. You know, Sosa jumped on my radar after his sophomore season when he showed a lot of flashes of ability, but he really never truly improved. Uh, He didn't take the next step up as a junior in 2017. You know, he basically played to his name. He was so-so. Uh, I, I, I didn't think he was a good fit for the Chip Kelly offense. Uh, he was, uh, I don't know that even if he was healthy, he would have fared that well in that sort of offense because he's not a, a fast perimeter type of guy. Came into the offseason as a street free agent. He's going to have to make it almost as a walk on a guy who may not get signed after the draft, may go to a, a, uh, a mini camp tryout for uh, free agents. Uh, if he's healthy, I, I think he, he, he's limited in the types of schemes that he can play in. If he's healthy, I, I think he fits sort of a, like a Pittsburgh Steeler type of scheme. The problem with Soso is I just never saw any real development in his game the past two years as a, a sophomore and a junior, or specifically as a junior prior to his injury of this year. That's interesting. It sounds like uh, teams may be a little bit lower on both those guys than I was coming into the year. I didn't think any of them were you know top 50 guys or anything, but I, I definitely saw them. Uh, both as draftable players, albeit with, you know, with athletic, athletic limitations, certainly. Uh, but the injuries are not going to help matters. But, uh, Tony, let's move past the injury stuff and get in some of these dra- some draft stock talk. You know, I, I've got a couple of stock questions here for you. Let's first talk about Alabama left tackle Jonah Williams. You know, a lot of people saw this kid starting for a national title team as a true freshman at right tackle, pegged him as, you know, he's going to be the next best thing uh, on the offensive line, future top ten pick. Then he moved over to left tackle last year as a sophomore, on their title team, all right, future top five pick. This guy he is, can't miss. Now, the buzz doesn't seem to be really all that high on him. I and mean, we haven't gotten into the official draft process. Obviously, he's a junior, so he hasn't declared yet. Uh, so, you know, he could very easily just go back. Um, but the buzz just doesn't seem to be there right now. And you're seeing a lot of mock drafts. It's like mid-round mid one, late-round one. If he were to come out, and again, just a true junior, so he could absolutely go back to school, where are you hearing that Jonah Williams would go? Well, number one, I think he was overrated from the get-go. I mean, uh, I never really had him as a true number, uh, true first-round prospect. He's a very good player in a system that often exaggerates uh, the abilities and the skills of the offensive lineman. It, let, let's take a look for a second. You look at how many guards and tackles drafted Alabama in the first 45 picks have done recently. 
You know, Cam Robinson has done reasonably well. He was a second-round pick. But don't forget, you know, Cam Robinson during, right, during his junior year at this point in time was predicted to be a, a top 15, top 12 pick. He ended up in the top half of round two. You look at some of the other guys. I mean, uh, Chance Womack, Womack was an early first-round pick. He's never lived up to uh, expectations. Uh, DJ Fluker, again, early first-round pick, never lived up to expectations. James Carpenter was a late first-round pick. He's had a decent career, but I don't think he, uh, you know, really lived up to the type of offensive lineman that people thought he was going to be. And then there's Andre Smith, the sixth pick of the draft. I mean, he's had a long career, but I don't think anyone felt it's commiserate with the with where he was selected in the draft. Andre Smith, do you remember? You know the guy with the with the private workouts, with the body parts flopping all over the place uh, when he was running his forty. Great amount of talent, but just never applied it. Now let's get back to Williams. You know, does he have the length to play tackle in the NFL? He's listed at six five. Is he six five or is he six four? Is he six four and a half? We have to wait and see. You don't know the measurables. Uh, his true measurables. He shows some stiffness in his game. He's not a real nimble guy that shows outstanding skill, blocking emotion. So while I think he's a nice offensive lineman, I just don't. I think he was overrated from the beginning. I'm not sold that he's going to be a tackle at the next level. He may be a guard. Uh, I, I think what you're hearing now on the outside is basically what scouts were saying, you know, coming into the season. Good player, but let's not just get overexcited or all over ourselves over this guy. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I always find it fascinating the guys that get hyped up and. and it's it's a shame for some guys, and I don't think that Williams is this guy, but you see this so often where there are players that get hyped up and they're first-round picks, first-round pick, first-round pick, all during this part of the process. And then, you know, the, the draft cycle actually happens and the guy goes undrafted. Like I think of like Jeremy Cash, the former safety from Duke, who everybody and their mother had this guy as a top-20 pick. And I remember watching him on film saying like, I don't see this guy as a first-round pick, but he had all this tackle production and you know all the numbers were there, and everyone's like, oh, well, he, this guy's been a four-year starter, and you know, look, at the, look at the production. Of course he's going to be a first-round pick. The guy, he didn't have a position, and he went undrafted, and this happens not just at safety, but you know, across the board. So I always find it interesting just guys that get hyped up by the media during the process that don't necessarily live up to that on film – it's not the player's fault. It's not the NFL team's fault. It's just kind of a, it's an interesting dynamic and something interesting to follow. So that's why I wanted to ask you, namely, namely there, about Jonah Williams. But, uh, Tony, one of the other things that I like to do, uh, and I track this every year, is just following the allocation of resources at each position across the NFL during the draft. So you know, what I mean by that is for every year since 2005, I've been tracking how many players at each position get selected and it just helps to kind of size up, A, how valuable each position is to NFL teams in terms of draft capital, you know, how many picks each year are selected on the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, etc. And then B, how strong or weak a particular position is any given year. So, you know, I might say, all right, well, on average, five corners get drafted in the first round or three quarterbacks get drafted in the first round or 12 offensive linemen get drafted in the first two days of the draft. Whatever it is, you get a sense of like, all right, how many guys get drafted every, every year. The, now compare it year over year and you can kind of see this is where the value or the strength or weakness is in a particular class. Now, what le- what I I guess really what I want to get to is the position that I do have a question about this year is corner. You know, over the last five years, Tony, the average amount of corners taken in the first round is four point four. So we'll say four cornerbacks per year in the first round over the last five. Right now, 
We know that the hot names, Greedy Williams, young corner, redshirt sophomore, LSU, if he were to declare, a lot of people feel that he would be a a first-round pick and probably a top-15 pick. After that, though, I don't know, man. Like, Is DeAndre Baker, the the senior from Georgia, really a first-round pick? Is Michael Jackson a first-round pick from Miami? I don't think these seniors are. So who are the names at corner that fans should be aware of that could go higher than people think at this point? Yeah, and you got to remember, the cornerback situation took a hit when, when two of the top-rated players at the position, Sam Beal of Western Michigan and Adonis Alexander of Virginia Tech, failed out of school and were forced into the supplemental draft. So that, those are two guys who were taken out of the 2019 draft that may have been in the conversation as top 45 picks. I, I, I mean, really, the hot name right now is Byron Murphy of, of Washington, and we, we've mentioned him before. Scouts feel he's a first-round prospect if he, if he enters the draft. He's got great ball skills. He's very uh, instinctive. He's explosive, constantly making plays when the, when the uh, pass is in the air. Uh, really doesn't put his uh, foot wrong. He's under six feet tall, which will, uh, is going to knock him off of a few boards because, you know, although Adoree Jackson was selected in the first round two drafts ago, there are teams that are not going to take a cornerback in round one unless they, you know, they measure in at, at least six zero zero zero, which is six foot even or higher. Uh, but he's an explosive guy, only a redshirt sophomore, so uh, physically he's got a ways uh, before he matures. But that guy, Byron Murphy right now is the hot name that scouts are looking at that is a potential first-round pick, and I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's not a good class, and, and what happens is, is again, you know, you, you see each year you have your underclassmen who went to the draft at a lot of specific positions like uh, offensive line, quarterback, and cornerback, and what that does is it continually depletes the following year's class. So, uh, I I mean, if there's a guy that people should focus on right now, it would be Byron Murphy of Washington. Yeah, and and I'm sure that there are talented corners all across the country, and guys are going to emerge. That's just the nature, especially at that position. Um, But it's it's just very interesting just to kind of follow it because I'm looking for names right now, who to study, and and I'm struggling. Um, One guy I did have a chance to study, though, recently, Tony, uh, is North Dakota State quarterback Easton Stick. And i got to tell you, I liked him. Um, you know, he's not Carson Wentz, obviously, but uh, I think there are, are some limitations with his arm. He's a smart kid, though. He's tough. He's got real command of that pro-style offense. I don't think that he's a starter in the NFL, but what are you hearing about this kid? Could we uh, definitely see him at the Senior Bowl in a couple of months? I think it would be a stretch to see him at the Senior Bowl, especially since, uh, uh, since Phil Savage is no longer there. And Savage used to like to take these guys out of nowhere and put them in the Senior Bowl. I also think when you look at the senior class of quarterbacks, Ryan Finley, Drew Locke, Will Greer, uh, Clay Thor- uh, Clayton Thorson, Nick Fitzgerald, Jordan Tayamu, uh, you're going to have uh, eight to nine legitimate uh, quarterbacks, uh, senior quarterbacks who are going to get invitations. If he goes there, it's going to be a situation where it's probably a last-minute invite because somebody gets injured. I think we'll see him at the Shrine game, though. Um, you know, doesn't have great size, uh, adequate size, doesn't have a great arm, as you said. I think he's a late-round selection developmental quarterback who could potentially be a very good number two at the next level, another set of eyeballs on the sideline. He gets it between the ears. He doesn't make a lot of uh, mental mistakes, doesn't make a lot of errant throws. a tough guy who understands the game but just has some physical limitations. Tony, every week you like to take a look at a, a prospect matchup that you're excited to watch, and this week it's out west in the Pac-12. One of my favorite players uh, in Oregon defensive end Jalen Jelks, they take on Washington State, and he'll be matched up against uh, our buddy Ben Fennell, one of his favorite players, the left tackle for the Cougars and Andre Dillard. Uh, what are you expecting to see in this matchup? Yeah, and Dillard was a guy who I thought coming into the season 
I wasn't sure what he was going to be left tackle, but he's played very well this year. I mean, he's not a guy who pops off the film uh, to you because he's got great footwork or he's got great athleticism, but he's fundamentally sound. He's smart. He does a great job using angles and body positioning. And the thing with Yelks is I think what you have great matchup between two guys that are very good football players but are not exceptional athletes. You saw Jelks last week, if you watched him against, uh, in the win against Washington, I mean, really made a lot of plays after the fact. I think he ended up with four tackles, uh, really really didn't get much penetration. So I, I think this is a, a good matchup between two really hardworking, lunch pail type of guys who will find a way to make it at the next level. It, it'll be a fun one to watch, uh, you know, especially I'm sure Jelks wants to get behind the line of scrimmage and make some plays which he wasn't able to do against Washington. And Dillard, I think this is going to be a game that Dillard marks down as a statement game for him. This is going to be one of the best pass rushers he faces all season, and I'm sure he very very much would like to come out uh, come out of the game as a winner, not only in the scoreboard, but uh, in his one-on-one matchups when he faces off against Jelks. We know Washington State likes to throw the football, so Jelks will have his opportunity there to make some plays if he can try and get past Dillard. Uh, let's let's wrap this up, Tony. Mock draft roundup. We're going to go with the Draft Network and Ben Solak, who's been a guest on this show in the past. Uh, he had his most recent mock draft, had the Eagles selecting 16th overall, uh, and he had them taking Miami defensive tackle Gerald Willis III. Uh, he's a transfer from Florida, uh, has had some issues in the past, seems to have turned the corner. Where are you thinking about the the stock in terms of uh, Gerald Willis? I actually watched him this morning, Tony, so I have some thoughts, but I want to get your opinion first, then I'll share what my thoughts are and, and have you react to that. Well, I mean, he's a guy who is really having a tremendous season and more power to him. Um, he's an explosive player. He seems to be putting it all together. Doesn't have great size. More of, in my opinion, a three-technique lineman. I don't think he's first-round material. I don't think he's second-day material. We have to wait and see how he works out. Would he be a good pick for the Eagles? I think he would be a good pick for the Eagles to add some depth on the interior of the defensive line, but I think he's more of a third-day type guy. Came into the season basically graded as a street-free agent. Doesn't always necessarily mean anything. Isaiah Wynn got street-free agent grades uh, by scouts entering the year last, uh, entering the 2017 season. He went in the first round of 2018 draft. Yeah, is a, I, I mean, he's a guy who's putting it together. Uh, has had some tremendous games. His game against LSU to start the season was outstanding. Uh, I just don't. I don't think he's got the size or the growth potential that you look for in a top uh, 75 pick. Would be a good pick for the Eagles, but I think more, you're more, looking more middle rounds to add some depth on the inside. Yeah, I, I agree with you when you look at especially that LSU game. I watched him against LSU and then again against North Carolina. Uh, really quick first step. That's probably really his number one trait is his ability to win off the ball. Uh, he's got a quick swim move that he'll try and win uh, against guards right off the snap and then also has a quick little uh, club rip move as well. His hands are always going. He's trying to keep himself clean. He's athletic. He's not truly dynamic and truly explosive and powerful, but he is quick. He does have some lateral agility. He does have some range. He will make some plays in pursuit. My question will be is if he can hold up against the run as a three-down player. You know, He gets moved off his spot a little bit too easily, spends a little bit too much time on the ground. Um, that's a question mark for me, I think, moving forward into the NFL. Uh, you kind of hope, you know, in theory, 
He could be a Grady Jarrett type of player. You know, if he can continue to add on weight, get a little bit more strong, a little bit stronger, a little bit more powerful. He's not a guy that collapses the pocket with power. I think Grady Jarrett even showed a little bit more of that during his time at Clemson. Um, but I think when you watch this kid, he, he's definitely got some penetrating ability. And I agree with you. I think that he can fit into a scheme like the Eagles. I do wonder if it's uh, if he's a first round guy or not. But he has had one of the best seasons so far of any defensive lineman, no question. Great stuff from Tony. You can follow on Twitter at Tony Pauline, but by now you know you can always follow me at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the stuff I'm working on over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So things like the Eagle Eye in the Sky articles, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, our Saturday scouting column, whatever Rex's nose content you're looking for, they'll all over, be over there as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com or on the Eagles mobile app. All right, let's keep things rolling here. I teased earlier that I would break down Ohio State defensive end Nick Bosa, the newest addition to the 2019 NFL Draft. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Nick Bosa, six foot four, two hundred sixty-three pounds. He's from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We know the bloodlines. His brother Joey was a top five pick of the LA Chargers back in twenty sixteen. He's now one of the best pass rushers in football. Their dad, John, was a first round pick of the Miami Dolphins a while back. And when Joey left for the NFL, Nick arrived on campus that fall and he did not take long to make an impact. His freshman year, he finished second on the team with five sacks. Following year, he led the team in sacks and tackles for loss as a true sophomore. He was first team all-conference. He was the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. So he comes into this year. He's named a team captain as a junior. He was leading the team in tackles, sacks, and TFLs through two and a half games before he got hurt in week three. He suffered an abdominal injury against TCU. He was deemed out initially for a couple of months, and they would address where he was in November, you figure, all right, maybe he's got a chance to come back for a playoff run. Well, as we talked about earlier with Tony, that's out the door. He's in the class. So what do we see on film from Nick Bosa? He's a a one-and-a-half-year starter at defensive end for Greg Schiano in that 4-3 scheme. He lined up either strictly at right defensive end or to the boundary side, to the short side of the field, depending on the game. So he kind of lined up at both spots. Typically as a 7 or a 9 technique outside of the tackle, there were times where he would slide up inside or even where he would stand up off the edge. So you do see some versatility from him there, both from a scheme standpoint and from a position standpoint, the ability to line up in a number of different spots. He's tall with enough weight to hold up at the next level. Again, just under 270 pounds. He's got a bubble butt and a really toned lower half. So you could tell this kid, you know, he's, he's built the right way for the next level. I'm excited to see him in person in Indianapolis at the Combine. For a bigger kid, He changes direction very easily. He's probably a bit twitchier, honestly, than his brother Joey. He gains a ton of ground with that first step, and he can attack vertically up the field. And when he's reading the ball, he just explodes out of his stance, and he's one of the first guys out of his out of his stance. He's really, really impressive in a straight line. Uh, he's got that flexibility as well to turn the corner with ease and accelerate to the quarterback. He doesn't have freakish bend. You know, he doesn't look quite like a guy like Ja'Kai Polite or anything like that, where you know he's turning the corner at high speed. But when he is cornering, he's very very smooth and under control. He's, he's got impressive balance and core strength running the hoop, and his closing speed in the short area is really impressive. And it's interesting, I bring up that core strength and how balanced he looks running the hoop. That's actually how he got hurt against TCU. Is he? You could tell he was just kind of engaging that core, and he just went down. The tackle went down on top of him, and that was it. He was done for the season. As a pass rusher, his go-to move is a solid double hand swipe move that he uses to attack both inside and outside. He'll also work in a really violent 
cross chop move, a pretty explosive bull rusher. He's got a decent inside jab step as well. Uh, he's got a swim move that he'll work in, and he's also will work in a speed to power rush. So he's got a lot of different tools in the toolbox. He can string multiple moves together in one rep. Uh, he knows how to handle extra attention, knows how to win both high side and low side. So this is a kid who knows what he's doing with his hands and understands how to attack offensive linemen. Strong enough to hold his ground at the point of attack and against the run, he flashes the ability to drop his weight and keep his hands tight when he locks out to control the block. Uh, he took on pulling guards as an edge setter. He didn't lose ground. He did ask. He was asked at times to drop in coverage, so he does flash the ability to do that. So you're talking about a guy who really checks a lot of the boxes and really from a negative standpoint, there were some times when he was reading the tackle instead of the ball, so reading the man across from him instead of the football. He would be a little bit late off the snap. It showed up more as a sophomore, not as much this year, but I did see some of that this morning when I watched the film. Uh, he's not a true power rusher that's going to co consistently collapse the pocket. There are flashes of it, but he wins more with his speed and his technique. That's more how he wins. Uh, played in such a rotation, honestly, as a sophomore. Remember how many defensive linemen came out of Ohio State in this 2018 draft? that most of his reps came on passing down. So he only had flashes as a run defender earlier in the career. And then this year, they were playing so often with a lead when he was in the game that you didn't really see a ton of him being able to just say, you know what, this team's going to line up. They're going to run the football. Let's see how he does at the point of attack. We didn't see a ton of it. So you're kind of uh, you know doing a little bit of a uh, uh, projection there you know, with that kid in, in the run game. But overall, he has a, a ceiling that's just as high as his brother's. But he's not quite the player Joey was at this stage of his career. He's a pretty good run defender. I th still think, like I said, it's a little bit of a projection there. Still very tough to pass up, though, early in this draft. He's scheme versus. He wins in multiple ways. He's got good size, good athleticism. He brings the total package. There's a little bit of risk here, but I think he'll be a star pass rusher in the NFL. I feel pretty good about his ability to transition to the league. So there's a lot to like there about Nick Bosa. Again, one of the top three players in this draft based off who I've studied so far. We heard Tony's feelings on him earlier in the show. So uh, let's keep things rolling here. I was happy to be joined by my guest, Quincy Avery on Mr. Relevant, to talk about some of the top quarterbacks in the nation and how they transition to the NFL. Let's get to that chat right now it's time for mr relevant Really excited to be joined by Quincy Avery, one of the best people to follow on Twitter. If you want to learn more about quarterback play, you can follow him just like I do at Quincy underscore Avery. Quincy, welcome to the show, man. Happy to have you on. I appreciate it. <laughs> Let's get to talking about some of these quarterbacks, and I, and I want to really focus in on this senior class just to start things off. Obviously, there's so many talented guys across the country, but let me ask you first about my favorite, at least from this senior class, and that's Drew Locke from Missouri. What stands out to you about him when you watch him play? Um, so I've actually had the opportunity to watch Drew Locke play the quarterback position since he was a senior in high school on the Elite 11, and it, it really followed him there. Uh, what I think understated with him is it's just pure athletic ability. He's so much more athletic and twitchy than many people know. He's got a really, really strong arm. So he has a lot of like the physical capabilities of, of someone like Mitch Trubisky. Um, just the overall traits and talents, the ability to do things. I think he's a little bit more refined at this point than Mitch was. He's played a lot more college football. Um, so he's made a lot of different throws. And he's seen a lot more just in his experience being the starter for so many years in Missouri. Um, so it's giving him an advantage that I, I don't think someone like Mitch had. But the talent is very comparable there. 
It's interesting you bring up the, just that athleticism and that twitch because that's something that a lot of the of Eagles coaches will say about Carson Wentz and just you know what he is like athletically. When you when you're talking about twitch at the quarterback position, what exactly uh, helps exhibit that at that spot? Short short area suddenness. Um, so you don't have to be the fastest guy in the world or anything like that, but you've got to be able to avoid defenders, create plays with your legs, extend plays, uh, and, and then have the ability and the balance. Uh, the balance and core strength um, to when you evade rush to be able to throw um, quickly and efficiently. All right, well, let's talk about uh, another guy this time in the Big 12, and that's Will Greer. He continues to put up big numbers for Dana Holgerson at West Virginia. Uh, he stood out as a true freshman earlier in his career at Florida. His dad played quarterback at ECU when he was in college, and then his dad went on, coached Will uh, in high school. So this kid has kind of been bred to be where he is now. When you watch Will Greer, what do you kind of see from him at the position transitioning to the NFL? So I've seen Will Greer's matriculation from Florida on to uh, West Virginia. It's been cool because he started out, he had a little hot streak at Florida for a few games, uh, and then some stuff happened, and he kind of struggled a little bit. He wasn't seeing the pictures clearly as a coach's son typically would. Um, and I think actually the time away from Florida and then getting to West Virginia talked about his son. Um, he, he now processes the game like someone who's a coach's son, and I think he's matured a lot um, at the quarterback position. So he's, easy, he's able to make quick decisions. Um, he's a really, really accurate thrower. He's not somebody who's going to wow you with like arm strength or something like that. Um, but he can make uh, firm throws, so like level one throws, those are throws that you have to drive. Um, and he does a great job with level two throws at the ball to get over defender and then land like before safety or any of the secondary coverage. Um, so that's allowed him to be really, really successful. And the system fits him so well. Um, going through real progression while at the same time being in the spread, uh, it's a lot of Ryan Finley doesn't really have the arm talent. This is the kid from NC State. Doesn't really have the arm talent of Drew Locke or even of Will Greer. Um, but he has gotten a lot of buzz on the pro circuit from scouts this offseason heading into his senior year. Another guy who transferred out of his original school. He started at Boise State, then followed the offensive coordinator uh, now at NC State. That's Eli Drinkwitz. He was initially with the Broncos, went to the Wolfpack. Finley followed him. Uh, he's got decent size. He's poised. He's a timing and rhythm thrower from what I've seen from him. What do you think of his film overall? Have you seen him play in, uh, in person as well? Uh, I have not seen him play in person. I've watched a, watched a good bit of film on him. And he, uh, if I was to compare him to anybody, he'd be C.J. Beathard um, with the 49ers. They're really, really similar. Um, there's nothing that stands out like physically about them. They're not huge. Uh, not a bunch of arm strength, but they get the job done just because they process things so quickly. Um, and it's given them the, the ability to be you know, overall successful at North Carolina State, but I, I, it's gonna—it's hard for me to imagine just with the lack of traits, um, him going super early. Uh, but I think he can be successful, long-term backup or something like that, because he plays the game above the neck the right way. Let's talk about some of these underclassmen here, Quincy, because obviously there there are so many guys across the country that uh, you know a lot of people are really excited about moving down the road. And you know, I know that you've worked in the past with a guy like Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State, who's uh, gotten a lot of buzz with what he's done so far this year. Who are some of the underclassmen that really kind of have you excited for the future of the position in the NFL? Man, we got three guys. We got Justin at Oregon. We got Tua at Alabama, and Dwayne Haskins. At Ohio State, those are three quarterbacks 
um, that I think if all three of them came out, they would end up being the top three picks at the quarterback position. I know Tua can't come out because of, of his age, but I'm just saying talent and skill-wise, those guys have some really, really special tools, uh, and I think that they're like a, uh, they're they're just at another tier than these guys. Um, they they have the opportunity to go into NFL organizations and be starters day one. Um, so Justin, he's like physically is, is probably the most unique guy. Um, he's he's a, a big guy, super fast, super athletic. Um, and he did a lot of things previously um, with Willie Taggart in offense that was just wide open, a lot of down the field shots. Um, and you saw the arm strength. You saw his ability to run. This year, things have changed a little bit into the offensive philosophy, and he's got to be more of a quarterback, and he's thrived um, through this play calling. So seeing him be able to do it, not only is somebody who's just taking a lot of chunk plays, a lot of splash plays, and being super successful there, but then coming back this year in a more refined offense, and he still has the big arm, the super athleticism. Um, those those things are the quarterback you can't really teach, uh, and, and he has those things. Dwayne Haskins is a prototypical um, drop-back passer. He's probably like a 4-7, guy, but arm, uh, I've seen a lot of guys come out for the draft in college, and he's the most gifted passer that I've ever seen at his age. Um, he, he's a, at his third year in college, and there's not one throw he can't make. He goes out and comes to work out with some NFL guys from time to time with me, and it's just special to kind of see him participate where he's at and then to be able to compete neck and neck every throw. Um, you look at him, and it's something you get really, really excited about. Um, and then Tua, he's got the strongest arm um, probably in college football right now. Um, you saw that with the game-winning throw in the national championship. They go cover two, and he gets to throw that real shot. Um, but it's not something that just happened that day. He does things like that time and time again. Um, and he also can create and extend plays. only thing that's going to be a knock on him is, of course, his height. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but um, physical capability-wise, he's, he's special. Um, arm talent, uh, not Pat Mahomes, but it's really, really close. Quincy, you've been really involved in the past with you know the Elite Eleven and with all these young quarterbacks. You know, you spent a lot of time uh, with Trent Dilfer, who uh, obviously is is very, very involved with that whole process. When you look at the, I'm going to ask you about the physical standpoint first, and then we'll talk about the mental standpoint. Mechanically, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, and they kind of throw a quarterback in and say, oh, he needs work with his mechanics. What part of that, you know, this can be a lower body or upper body, do you think is most overblown with quarterbacks making the jump from college to the NFL? Is there one aspect of it where if a guy is a little bit sloppy in one uh, part of his mechanics or another that is kind of overblown as being a big issue? And then conversely, is there a part that's really like uh, non-negotiable for you that this has to be fixed before he transitions to the NFL? Yeah, uh, I think one of the things that I think is overblown more than anything else is like long release. Like people will say, like maybe um, Carson has a longer release because he drops the ball a bit um, in his throwing motion, and people were kind of saying that when we saw Carson in college. But um, the ability to have, um, and in terms of quick release, I, I should say somebody has a longer throwing motion. Um, but people can see an arm with a longer throwing motion but not understand that the ball's still coming out very, very quickly because you can't start throwing it until your front foot hits the ground and that's the stride frequency. So you can see guys with really, really quick arms, and that's what people get excited about. But if their foot is slow to hit the ground, then nothing really changes. 
you'll see Carson Wentz. He's extremely quick with getting his left foot on the ground. So stride frequency is amazing. So the ball still sinks up and it gets out quick. So people get enamored into the, the arm movement. But as he's processing and making the decision, balls are coming out just as quick. So that's something I think people talk about a lot. Uh, it's quite overblown in my opinion. I don't think it has much of an effect. A lot of guys that we see are really, really successful in the NFL, um, and their arm might move a little slower. Um, if you go back and watch some Tim Tebow, he had a really, really long arm motion, but what you notice is his front foot got off the ground really high, which caused an elongated um, load to target, which is just the amount of time it takes for the ball to get out of your hand, not necessarily about your arm. Um, so that's what people need to start looking at rather than uh, exactly how their arm is moving. Um, and then the non-negotiables, um, consistent base in, in, in their footwork, um, just being able to maintain the same position throughout uh, the the time that they spend in the pocket. That's something I think Lamar Jackson struggled with a lot in college, um, and I've seen him over the offseason improve a ton. And I think that's one of the first things that people decide that they got to fix in terms of work with these guys. And then along the same lines, is there something from the mental side of the game? I know you've said on Twitter in the past about how you know so much of the quarterback position has almost nothing to do with throwing the football, and there's so much that goes into it. What are some of the mental things that you think are kind of underrated and then uh, also overrated with quarterbacks making the jump to the league? Yeah, so mental toughness is probably the, the number one. Mental toughness is great. I don't know how you kind of want to measure those two things and I think as you get to know a guy personally, you can kind of really get a better understanding of who they are as a person and how much uh, negative talk that they can take and how well they they can ignore it. So one of the things that I care about a lot is does a guy care about what everybody thinks about him as a person or a player? And if that's something that he, he does, then he's probably not going to be a really, really successful quarterback because you can't be a leader of men. you got 53 guys on your team. you got to be able to have some conflict as well as uh, uh, battle through the adversity that happens with a quarterback. He can be the best quarterback in the world. Some bad stuff's going to happen to you at one point or another. And if you can't handle that, you can have all the talent in the world, um, and you'll never be uh, a successful guy on uh, Saturdays or Sundays. So that's the thing that I look for uh, more than anything else. Is like, who, who are they as a person? How do they withstand uh, difficult circumstances? Have they been through some real adversity and how they battle? Uh, and, and last, but not the least, do they not care about what you think about them? You can follow Quincy on Twitter at Quincy underscore Avery. Qu- Quincy, appreciate the time here uh, on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hope to talk to you again soon. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Great stuff, as expected there, from Quincy Avery. Hopefully we can get him back on the show again soon. Uh, before we transition to our next segment, you know how much I love it when everybody out there tweets about the show or posts about it on Facebook. It's great support, but the best way to give us some support, if you love what you're listening, just go over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen and give us a five-star rating or a four-star rating. How, really, just give us any kind of rating and leave us that comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to write him on uh, Apple Podcasts, left a five-star rating and left a question. Uh, asking about the top safety prospects entering this draft that fit the Eagles scheme. Uh, you know, he asked, you've mentioned Juan Thornhill. Where does he rank as well as Alabama's Deontay Thompson? That's a good question. Thanks for sending that in, Ryan. 
we've talked about this safety group a bit over the last few weeks. Last week, Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl broke down three or four of his favorites, Thornhill included. Uh, that list included Mike Edwards from Kentucky, Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State, and Marquise Blair from Utah. I would urge you guys, if you, if you haven't heard last week's episode, that interview with Jim Nagy, got a lot of cool information from that. But uh, I haven't watched Deontay Thompson. I probably will wait until he makes an official decision at this point as to whether he's going to come or go. Uh, I know a lot of people in the media are excited about him, but I'll just say that safety buzz in the media with the NFL draft is always very tricky. And I'm not saying that because I think Thompson is one of these guys, but because the flashes, honestly, that I've seen uh, say that he isn't. But I mentioned Jeremy Cash's name earlier with Tony. Uh, He was going to be a first-round pick all season in the media. Every mock draft had him in the first round. He ends up going undrafted. He's a converted linebacker now somewhere, I I think with Carolina, actually. Uh, J. Ron Curse from Clemson was going to be a first-round pick. He was a seventh-rounder a couple years ago. Gerard Holloman was going to be the next Ed Reed, the kid from, uh, from Louisville. He had you know 19 interceptions his, his final year. He was going to be the next great free safety, but he couldn't play the run worth a lick. He went in the fifth round or so, and now he's out of the league. And I only say that because I don't want to jump on the train on a safety, especially an underclassman safety, until I personally have gotten my own eyes on him. I got to watch him personally. I don't want to put my name on that. So uh, you know, there have been a, a few guys that I've watched so far that I think have real starting potential. You know, Juan Thornhill, Jonathan Abram. I think Mike Edwards as well from Kentucky can fill a role in the secondary. Uh, I think Marvell Tell from USC has talent to play in the middle of the field, a good-sized kid uh, for a free safety. But his instincts were a little bit of a question mark to me. That's something I want to continue to watch more of. A lot of people are really high on the Miami kid, Jaquan Johnson. Uh, I was honestly left wanting a little bit with him when I watched him as a junior uh, in terms of being a high pick in the draft. Good football player, just not to that level from what I saw. Uh, I wrote about the kid from Delaware a couple weeks ago, Nazir Adderley on the Saturday scouting column. He's got a corner background. He sees things pretty clearly on the back end, but I'm not sure that he can defend the run to the level that you would want for a three-down guy. And really, I guess what I'm trying to get at, A, safeties are tough to find, and you need to, to watch a ton of film to get a real feel for them. I'm still going through that process, obviously. Lastly, I would be wary of the guys that the media jumps on too quickly in the secondary, namely at safety. Uh, you know, Sure, we've seen guys like Landon Collins and Jamal Adams, Malik Hooker, who highly regarded, they go high in the draft, turn into good players. But for every one of them, there's one of those guys we talked about earlier. There's a Darian Thompson from Boise State or a Quinn Blanding from Virginia. There's always some late risers at the safety spot that emerge and come out. You know, the, the Kevin Byard from Middle Tennessee State. And there's guys like Tarvarius Moore from Southern Miss last year. We, talk, we go through the whole draft season, and we don't hear much about them as early-round picks. And then just like that, in the last couple of months, we hear, oh, NFL teams are high on this guy. And you go and you watch the film and you find out why. I'm excited to see who those names are. We talked about it earlier with Tony at the cornerback position. I'm anxious to see who those names are in the secondary moving forward. So great question there. Thanks to write him and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, which, by the way, uh, if you are now subscribed to the on, Eagles on the Record podcast channel, uh, this, this is a good opportunity to go and do so. We've got all of our uh, assistant coach availability from this past week. So all the Eagles assistant coaches, if you're an Eagles fan, go and take a, uh, go give that a subscription to the Eagles on the Record. You'll hear all of that sound all in one place. That's where you're going to hear all of your press conferences, locker room sound, one-on-one studio interviews with Dave Spadaro or Chris McPherson or Molly Sullivan. All those guys, they're all thrown into that Eagles on the Record channel. So uh, go give that a subscription. You'll, you'll like what you get there from that channel. All right, it's about that time. Let's welcome in Ben Fennell and look at some of the biggest matchups to watch this weekend in college football. It's time for Saturday Scouting. 
It's that time to welcome in my friend Ben Fennel, who you can follow on Twitter at Ben Fennel. That's two N's, two L's, underscore NFL. Ben, uh, let's get things started. You were down at Florida Vanderbilt, your first trip to uh, the, the Commodores facility down there in, in downtown Nashville. Uh, and I know you, we really need to start with the guy who's gaining so much buzz, and you're, you've are you been kind of driving the train for Ja'Kai Polite. You, you got the engine going, and now it's just taken off, and he's going in the top ten of mock drafts. And I think that you can probably get a chunk at this point of that first signing bonus. Yeah, probably uh, <laughs> deserving of at least 2%, maybe 3% of uh, whatever his earnings are. But I feel like I served him up, and I feel like it's also my responsibility to bring him back down just a little bit okay. and to temper those expectations because he's certainly blown up on social media in the eyes of you know different draft nicks on Twitter and uh, certain guys we, we respect and uh, have brought him to their attention. Everyone seems to be very high on him. So I just want to make sure we're tempering the expectations on what type of pro he could potentially be. Well, what did you see from him again? This is your second live exposure to him. What did you see from him here on Saturday? Yeah, so I saw him last year against Vanderbilt as well. I saw him er- earlier this season against Mississippi State. And this was probably one of his quieter games, but we need to explain why was it quiet. So first of all, he's not an early down player. So he doesn't play a lot of first and tens, even second downs. He's a bit of a liability against the run. You have to remember, he's 6'2", 245, 250. He doesn't have a whole lot of weight into him. Doesn't have a whole lot of sand in his pants, as we like to say. So when he does get on the field in third down, they want him to be a quarterback hunter. Go get the quarterback. Yep. Go rush the pass. Which he can do. So Vanderbilt obviously was well aware of Ja'Kai Polite and what he did to him last year. So third and short, quick game. We're getting the ball out. Third and long, this guy's not going to beat us. We're going to double team him with a tight end. We're going to chip him with a running back. And then right tackle, Devin Cochran's a pretty good redshirt sophomore tackle at Vanderbilt. Mm. Not saying he's going to come out this year or even next year, but that's definitely a name to write down uh, in the future. So with all that combined and the way they game plan against him, he just didn't have that disruptive of a game as we've come to expect and have seen from him over the past couple of weeks. He did have a tackle for loss. He did have a sack late, but didn't have the impactful plays we were expecting. Yeah, and I don't want to take this too far off the rails, but this really kind of spurned a discussion between uh, you and I just at our desks uh, a little bit ago just about you know what we look for for successful edge rushers, guys that are considered the best of the best in the NFL, what traits matter in the NFL. And I think it, it bears discussing with a guy like Polite. Look, he's a junior. He, you know, We don't know that he's going to be in this draft. He may or may not be. Um, but I think when you talk about him in terms of his uh, pr- progression here and his transition to the NFL – you have to talk about, well, what does he bring that is most attractive? And obviously you talk about his flexibility, his acceleration, that quick first step. Those are all well and good, but I think there are some flaws to his game as well, and I think you can kind of take both of them and measure in terms of how how valuable he will be seen here on come draft day. No question. I just find myself writing down a lot of similar pros and cons as I did two years ago for Alabama outside linebacker Tim Williams. Very similar height and weight, just a shade under 6'3", in that 245 to 255 category. Tim Williams also is an explosive, exciting edge rusher. Had a variety of moves, spin moves, long arms, can turn the corner, dip, bend, and flatten to the quarterback. Wanted to always slip blocks in the run game. And he just had that issue with play strength and playing at the point of attack and whether he had enough strength in his upper body to hold up at the point of attack against NFL tackles. And I think that's why Williams slipped to the third round. He was a 78th overall pick. And I just look at Ja'Kai Polite's teammate, defensive end Jabari Zaniga, who also has seven and a half tackles for a loss, four and a half sacks this year, productive player. He's bigger, he's longer, he's stronger. He'll kick into three-tech and sub-packages. He may not have that explosive trait that Ja'Kai Polite does, 
but he may be a better pro than Ja'Kai Polite because he isn't that liability in early downs and can handle himself at the point of attack better than these little bit lighter edge rushers. Yeah, and so based off that discussion, I went, because I, I was curious, um, you know, looking back at the, over the last few years, so I went back as far back as t- 2010. Here are the edge players that have been drafted in the first three rounds since 2010 that weighed in at their combine or pro day at sub-250. All right, here's the list. It's not too long. Deion Jordan, not good. Barkevius Mingo, not good. Jarvis Jones, not good. Shane Ray, we're still waiting. Kyler Fackrell, not good. Uh, uh, Tim Williams, still waiting. Kyle Van Noy had to make a switch to linebacker. Kamalai Correa got switched to linebacker very quickly. Arden Key, obviously a rookie. Ronald Powell, no. Randy Gregory's had his own set of issues. Uh, Tyus Bowser hasn't done anything. We're still waiting. Vic Beasley's been up and down. Eli Harold is on his second team. Derek Rivers missed the last year. We'll see what he looks like this year. Dante Mock from Nevada. Remember that kid? He was a freak show at the Combine. Didn't do anything in the NFL. Devon Kennard, linebacker. Bruce Irvin, linebacker. Leonard Floyd, linebacker. Now you get to Von Miller. Like, there's one great player from that whole list. And it's just really, really interesting because I think you can talk about how much size, you know, does it matter, does it not at certain positions. I kind of think the more I'm, I'm watching this, and I, I I used to love those like long, f- lanky, flexible guys off the edge. They're a lot of fun to watch, and I think those guys can you know g- give you a boost off the bench. But should they be valued in the first three rounds? Yeah, and that's the debate. And if you want to look at a six-two, two hundred and fifty-pound edge rusher and say, "Oh, don't worry," on first and second down, we'll play him an off-ball backer. Well, we're seeing that transitional issue with Hassan Reddick down in Arizona. That's a great point. Who's a very similar type of player. Was an explosive edge rusher with a great first step. Was a little undersized on early downs, and they want to play him off the ball. Gave him a little bit of a peek at that the Senior Bowl week, and he showed he can do it. But you look at last year, whether it was Okoronkwo out of Oklahoma or Marquise Haynes out of Ole Miss, those undersized edge rushers that you really don't know what to do. I think Polite's a little bit bigger than those guys, a little more explosive than those guys. But again, just that issue on what you do with them on first and second down, and then what is their draft value based on their skill set? Yeah, no question. Uh, to me, like the three most valuable traits and I, that I look for in an edge rusher are competitiveness, number one, uh, burst, that first step, the ability to win upfield, and then pass rush skill. It's he definitely has the burst. I haven't well, I haven't done a study of him. You've seen a lot more of him than I have, um, so I can't speak to necessarily the rush skill and the competitive competitiveness. But those are the things that most value to me. Um, and we'll we'll see. I, I'm very excited to kind of dig into his film when he if he if and when he does declare for this draft. If not, then it'll be next off season. Now look, if he is a one trick pony, if he is just an explosive first step, bend the edge, edge rusher. That has a place and a value in the NFL. Of course. But now talking about the draft pecking order and what is that one elite trait worth compared to a player that may be a B-plus across the board and is a more well-rounded football player. It's just that kind of give and take on where you're going to take those uh, certain traits. Yeah, you made a great point when we were t- discussing it earlier of you know that same draft class with Tim Williams. You had Ryan Anderson on the other side. I, Ryan Anderson got drafted ahead of him. Washington took him ahead of where Williams went with Baltimore. And Anderson's doing more for the Redskins than what Williams is doing for the Ravens right now, and rightfully so. I mean, yeah, that's a, a similar Ja'Kai Polite, Jabari Zaniga yeah. matchup. You know, Tim Williams was more exciting, but Ryan Anderson was probably the better pro. No question. All right, so let's talk about some of the Commodores here. We'll get back on track here. Uh, that you saw, you, I know you were really excited to get eyes on Joe Juan Williams, the, the corner for Vanderbilt. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. Really impressed with him in pregames. He's a big kid. This guy's every bit of 6'3". He looks like just one of these prototypical safeties in the NFL now playing corner. How is he built? 
He's he's pretty well built. He's got big upper uh, upper legs. Okay. His butt kind of bubbles out a little bit. He's got these long arms. Just the one issue that you're going to get with 6'3", 205-pound corners, he's just stiff. He's yep. very stiff-hipped. He struggles in his transition. He needs to beat you up off the ball and press or beat you at the catch point. He did have an interception on a tip ball, which was nice. He's a physical player. He's a good tackler. In the NFL, he's probably going to have to go to a bail scheme like Seattle Seahawks or maybe even convert to safety like uh, Tony Pauline was suggesting a few weeks ago. All right, now how about the other side? Kyle Shermer, the, the senior quarterback, uh, Pat mm. Shermer's son. Yeah, you know, this was a classic Kyle Shermer game in that he showed you just enough to get excited and that he has tools that can trans- translate to the pro level. He's under center a whole lot. They get him on the move and play action boot. He'll hit those over routes. He has a nice compact delivery. He's got a strong arm. His subtle movements in the pocket. Just a very average athlete. Kind of average seeing the field. I thought Florida speed really caught up with him and their skilled players. Once they're starting running back, Kashawn Vaughn went down. He had a 43-yard run, a 75-yard screen earlier in the game. He went down, never came back, and that kind of took the wind out of uh, Vanderbilt's sails. But that was a classic Shermer game, and he showed you a skill set and some tools that could translate to the next level. I, I could definitely peg him into the Senior Bowl. All right, so let's uh, let's get in here to, to some of your big takeaways. Let's start with the one-play takeaway. What one play impressed you most from this game? Yeah, the one-play takeaway, Florida receiver Van Jefferson, who's an Ole Miss transfer, son of Sean Jefferson, former NFL receiver, NFL receiver's coach. Jack- is he with Jacksonville I'm not sure Miami? who he's with now. He was with Tennessee for a little bit. He was with Miami. I'd have to okay. brush up on where he is. But he beat Juwan uh, Williams for a 38-yard touchdown off a slant and press coverage. Really shook him off the line. Just saw those stiff hips from John Williams, unable to mirror the footwork and the speed of Van Jefferson. And then obviously the speed of Van Jefferson in the open field. Nobody had a chance on catching him. I thought that play just represented kind of what Juwan Williams is going to struggle with at the next level. I watched Jefferson at Ole Miss last year. He's, he's number one, he's got some juice. Number two, he's really good off the line. Yeah, so, he's an exciting player. Yeah, no question. I, I actually caught that play live. I was flipping back and forth between this game and the uh, Ohio State-Minnesota game. Mm-hmm. Uh, got to the Vandy, the Vandy game just in time to see all the brouhaha there. <laughs> <laughs> there was the end of the first half, but uh, got, I did get a chance to see that play. That was mm-hmm. impressive. All right, uh, I want to hear who you were most impressed with in person physically who is your off the bus guy who was the most physically imposing player you know I've seen this guy for a couple of years now having done a few other Florida games but Samaje Pirine's brother LaMichael Pirine is built very similar to Samaje they're only about 5'11 but I think they're fitting 220 225 on that frame and absolutely maxing out their bodies they just have huge abdomens and cores huge butt huge legs these guys are just oozing out of their pants you can kind of see their muscles bulging mm. huge lower body great contact balance runs very very hard a lot like Samaje uh, so he's just very impressive to see he almost looks like I'm trying to think of a short, rocked-up linebacker. You see him kind of coming with the running backs, and you're like, who is this kind of linebacker just looking ready to thump somebody the way he's built? He's just wide, short, rocked up. Uh, you know, it kind of reminded me of that Andre Smith kid from North Carolina last year. Right. He was like six foot two thirty. Right. Um, but he has that kind of linebacker build to him. But um, what did Jordan, did Jordan Scarlett play in the game? Yes, he did. How did he look? He looked pretty good. Uh, he did get banged up for a little bit, but he's kind of that thunder and lightning combination mm. with P. Ryan. He's a little bit more of a slasher than a bruiser. Mm. Great perimeter runner. He's got good vision. Uh, he's got some moves in the open field, and he's a really tough kid. Uh, he kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, who's Latavius Murray okay. up in Minnesota. Interesting. And one of those kind of higher 
upright runners, but will still, you know, lower his pads on you and try to move you and has some moves in the open field. So he's an interesting prospect. All right, so let's talk about your uh, your down-the-road freak show. I'm sure Florida has a few of these guys. Uh, what guy are you most excited to see down, now moving forward? Yeah, Florida absolutely has a few of them, but we're actually going to talk Vanderbilt, their tight end, Jared Pinckney. Uh, he's already got 350 yards receiving, averaging 15 yards a catch. This guy is an explosive player. He's only a redshirt freshman. He's 6'4", 255. That's tight end Jared Pinckney. Interesting. All right, well, let's get into this week's matchup. Uh, where are you heading this week? Uh, so this week I'm going to be making my first trip down to Baton Rouge for a night game at LSU as Mississippi State comes in to face the Tigers in Baton Rouge. That's a, uh, a bucket list game. Yeah, and that's going to be an exciting one. I've never been to LSU. Obviously, if you're going, you better go see a night game there. That place gets rocking. Mississippi State coming off a huge win, beating Auburn uh, and knocking off Jared Stenham. So it'll be exciting to see, uh, you know, where that game's going to go. Mississippi State's four and two right now. LSU's six and one, sitting at number five in the country. So. Should be a pretty intriguing SEC matchup. I was going to say, they're coming off their own big win of their own. No question. Knocking uh, off number two Georgia, 36-16 last week. Right. So who are the players? It seems like both of these teams, the strength really is in the front seven. Yeah, it's the SEC. So we're going right yeah. to the trenches. Yep. O-line, D-line, edge rushers. There's freaks all over the place. My eyes are going right to Montez Sweat, who's pretty much on every midseason All-American list at this point. Already up to seven and a half sacks this year. Ten and a half, ten and a half sacks last year. This guy's productive every Every game we just got done watching a couple games yep. uh, recently just to see what he's done since I saw him in person against Florida a few weeks ago. This guy is really uh, refining his game on the edge, and I'm seeing him use his hands a lot more, working some different moves. I like his awareness as a pass rusher as well, not getting stuck behind the quarterback, not just running that loop on speed rushes and running himself out of the play way behind the quarterback. Saw a nice sack uh, last week where he worked to the quarterback's depth, flattened, and worked back underneath. So just those little nuances of rushing the passer, I think he's really starting to refine his game. Yeah, then you have his line mate, line mate Jeffrey Simmons, a, a guy who was a former five-star recruit. We've talked about him a little bit here. Uh, some people are really high on this kid as well. Yeah, you know, in the Florida game a few weeks ago, I thought Florida, they came out and said, Dan Mullen said, we can't block these guys downhill. We're going to rely on the quick perimeter pass game and not try to attack these guys up the middle. So I felt like a few weeks ago against Florida, Jeffrey Simmons didn't have his best game. I felt like the scheme kind of took him out of it. But I threw on the Auburn tape, and this guy just looked so much more explosive, so much quicker off the ball. We saw a lot of arm over swim moves right at the point of attack getting up the field against Auburn's offensive line, much more active in chasing the ball. I thought it was one of his better games, and it showed with Mississippi State knocking off Auburn, who was a top-10 team at that point. Something tells me Ed Orgeron's probably not having that same uh, fear of going right at those guys. No, I don't think so, but he did come out earlier today, actually, and say he thinks Jeffrey Simmons is the best defensive tackle prospect in the country. So he's obviously on Ed Orgeron's radar, rightfully so, and he's not taking him lightly and gave him very high praise. I think that was earlier today, possibly yesterday. All right, so let's talk about uh, Orgeron's own guys in the front seven. I know a lot of people are really high on Devin White, uh, the linebacker. I haven't studied him yet, um, and I haven't studied the defensive tackle there either. He plays 3-4 DN for them, uh, Rashard Lawrence. Yeah, Rashard Lawrence. You know, Rashard Lawrence is a, a point-of-attack player. He loves to stack and shed. He loves his push-pull move at the point of attack. He just doesn't really have any athleticism or foot speed to chase plays down from the backside after he does disengage. He doesn't have a whole lot of quickness at the point of attack to shoot into gaps and to get upfield. He really needs to play an offensive lineman in a phone booth, and he needs a second or two to beat this guy 
shed him and then find the ball carrier, which, you know, sometimes you don't have that two and a half, three seconds to discard an offensive lineman, relocate the ball, and then go hunt. We're looking for more of an explosive trait, but he's a guy that can definitely hold his own on first and second down. Remind me a little bit of Jaleel Johnson out of Iowa a couple years ago, who I like to call a line of scrimmage dweller. So what does that mean? It's just a player not getting penetration in the backfield, but they're also not getting knocked back and giving up penetration. They hold their ground very well and like to find the football at the line of scrimmage. Kind of similar to Kenny Clark I was just as well. Gonna, I was just going Coming to bring him up. Coming out of UCLA, yep. very similar and just very technical, plays a great leverage, knows how to shed, but just doesn't do anything exceptionally quick. So they don't make a whole lot of splash plays in the backfield. All right, what about Devin White? Devin White, I mean, this guy looks like he's really refining his game as well, too. Had a great game against Georgia last week. You know, he can run sideline to sideline, loves to use his hands. He's a physical player. He's a long strider. He could get from point A to point B in a flash and handle all the business and the traffic in getting there. And I just love that trait from linebackers and sorting through the trash naturally, that you can kind of flow and work around different blockers and take different angles and scrape over and under blockers, take on blockers while moving and not having to diagnose everything from, you know, in a – compartmentalized you know fashion and that he could kind of flow with the action and know how, where to take his angles where to bubble over and the proper pursuit angles uh, to attack ball carriers yeah that's good I, i'm excited to watch this game this, is, this should be is this the uh what, what time does the game start this is uh 7 p.m espn oh that's big time I, i'm excited to watch this yeah one, place but, is going to be rocking yeah it's all right so uh we've got that one we've got there's honestly there's a bunch of really good ones this week. I, I'm excited to watch NC State Clemson. Uh, we get the senior quarterback Ryan Finley. He's got some talented receivers. I know Kelvin Harmon is a guy a lot of people are excited about going up against this Clemson defense and that defensive line. Uh, I'll be writing about that matchup among a lot of other ones uh, in this week's Saturday scouting column. Which man, you can is find. this a uh, make or break game for Ryan Finley as far as you know transitioning a guy. to the NFL? Yeah. I feel like he's a very split prospect as far as what his value is at the next level. He has some really good games. He has some clunker games I know this game against Clemson quality competition they're putting a lot of value in this game and if he doesn't perform well I could see him potentially being an undrafted player dude is there uh, are there any other defenses that are more pro style not in the SEC than Clemson and NC State like I'm excited to watch this from a defensive standpoint because both those teams they play an NFL style defense no question I love watching Josh Jones a few years ago I know all the NC State prospects last year from you know BJ Hill and uh, Bradley Chubb and all those guys watching Josh Jones the year before man they'll do NFL style pressure schemes from triple yep. a got blitzes a lot of stunts and games up front they're playing a lot of man coverage on the outside so you know, opposing quarterbacks, you better be ready to handle NFL-style defenses when you uh, come into NC State. Yeah, I'm going to be jumping de- into that matchup again on that Saturday scouting column. You can find that on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, or my Twitter feed, at FDuffy3. Ben, we'll be back next week. We'll get your feelings on this game. Great stuff, as always. Again, go check Ben out on Twitter, at BenFennel underscore NFL. Time to wrap up this podcast with some Q&A. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, so we've got one question this week. Patrick Young on Twitter reaches out, with Jason Peters getting older, I'm interested in who is the future left tackle for the Eagles. Is it Big V, or is there a guy in this draft that we could target early? Patrick, that's a good question. And I would say 
if I'm looking at this draft as far as who could be a starting tackle in the league, I broke down Wisconsin's Michael Dieter last week in scouting report. I like the player a lot. I think he's probably more of a guard than a tackle. I do think he could play outside, but probably more of a guard in an ideal sense. I would say coming into the year, a lot of people were excited about Trey Adams. He was the guy for everyone, a future first-round pick, potential top 15 pick. Um, but he has not played a down this year because of a back injury, and he missed the last half of last year with a torn ACL. So he's a big kid. The injury stuff, especially the back stuff, is pretty scary. We'll see if he decides to enter the draft, how high he could go. There could be a redshirt uh, situation there uh, with Trey Adams. Uh, I kind of like Derwin Gray from Maryland. You know, I think he's got starting traits at left tackle. Um, and if you want a small school name, I kind of like what I've seen from Villanova's Ethan Greenidge as well. You know, he may be more of a guard than a tackle when it's all said and done as well. Um, but Patrick, you also mentioned Big V. Obviously, he's going to be considered for that spot um, you know, at some point down the road, but don't count out Jordan Mailata either. You know, last year's seventh-round pick from Australia, I was so intrigued by what I saw from, this, from the kid this summer. Uh, I can't wait to see what he looks like with a year of development next year at this time. So good question there from Patrick. And again, if you ever have any questions for the show, you can hit me up on Twitter at FDuffy3 or or what I'd like more is you go over to our podcast channel, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, give us a rating, and then leave that comment in there. Guaranteed you're going to make the show the very next week. So that's the best way to do it. And, again, it's the best way to lend us your support as well. I appreciate anybody that's able to do that. So great stuff this week from Tony Pauline, Ben Fennel, Quincy Avery, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, on the Eagles mobile app, or any of our podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, as always, to the Journey to Draft podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.